you could all please stand, we're going to take a look at the scripture now, and then we're going to tackle this. Again, as I said, it's going to take a little while to unpack, but I think that it is well worth it for every single one of us. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 16, um, if you have it in your Bibles or on your phone or wherever you can, otherwise it's up on the screen. We're starting in verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jar. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a cake, a little cake of it, and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word the Lord had spoken to Elijah. This is God's word. You may be seated as we go into prayer. Father, as we gather around your word this morning, I am thankful, thankful for each and every person here. I'm thankful, Father, for the ability to be able to gather in safety and in peace and in quiet. Remind us when we are whiny and we are complaining about how our life isn't all that it ought to be and that we aren't getting what we want in our way and and our rights are being violated. Remind us of the fact that the world is in chaos. And in this week alone, we have had three separate, very frightening instances where people have been killed because of terrorist bombs, because of terrorists driving cars into crowds, and just wreaking havoc in this world, creating an atmosphere and an environment where nobody feels safe even to go to market anymore. Remind us, Lord, in the midst of it all, that you are still king, that you reign that you sit upon the throne of heaven, that nothing that happens down here surprises you. But what is happening down here is a world full of people who are trying to be their own gods, trying to make their own story, trying to create some sort of order out of the chaos that they themselves have created. Encourage us, Lord, not to be a part of that, but to be above the chaos, to be focused upon you as we need to learn that that's what made Elijah stable and it's also what made him unstable when he lost sight of who was really in charge. Father, for all of those who are struggling with sicknesses and illnesses and family issues and job losses, I know that there are those within this body that are dealing with those things. Even, Father, those who we can give you thanks for young people like Brendan who all of a sudden who is encouraged and wants to come here when a short month ago we were praying that you would just get him from Sunday to Monday your hands are always at work through the hands of those whom you have gifted Lord remind us of that that you are a good God and that you want to work in our lives help us to be submissive to that I pray for everybody who is in need here you know what they are probably too many to be named but You're a lot bigger than the little box we tend to stick you in, Father. So we pray that you would just 
give every single person exactly what they need in the way in which they need it because you know better than even my sad little self and lifting them up to you. But I just pray, Father, that your spirit would rest here, that you would minister in the way that you see fit, that you know needs to be done. Pray that you would open up your word to us this morning and that you would soften our hearts so that today when we hear your voice, we would not ignore it. But we would run to you and we would say, help us to be your children, Father, growing up in your image, being salt and light in this world in a way that impacts people. Remind us, Lord, that it's about you and it's about Jesus and it's about people who are lost. We're to be about your business. Help us to see all of these things in this story this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One of the themes that I want us to take a look at primarily this morning as we dig into this story is that plainly, if our rest isn't found in the Lord, our remembrance of his provision becomes lost in the chaos and the concerns of life. Let me say that again. If our rest isn't found in the Lord, our remembrance of his provision becomes lost in the chaos and the concerns of life. Even the smallest issues that arise become obstacles to moving forward in a healthy and good way as the Lord wants to teach us and grow us. Now, I know for me, you know, having gone through what I went through, as I said, you know, this story and this entire thing makes perfect sense to me as to why it is it lands here in learning how to rest in the Lord and the whole Sabbath rest. Um, it was very helpful for me as I studied this and I learned and I needed these things because the Lord needed to encourage me these past two weeks for many, many reasons to remind me who really was in charge to remind me exactly who's in control of everything, even when the entire world is falling apart around you. God is still God and he is still in charge and our duty is to just be obedient to him. Even sometimes when things look like they're going to go pear-shaped. And sometimes, in fact, they do. And you see things and you respond to things and you deal with things that just are not what you expect. And sometimes, because you are so overwhelmed, they're the smallest little thing in the world, it becomes a big iceberg in a very small pond because we create that in our mind. So we want to be careful that we don't make the smallest issues the biggest obstacles to our moving forward and our growing and our knowledge and our faith of Jesus. We want to make sure that we are looking appropriately at the things that God puts before us. And you want to wonder why it is we're in 1 Kings this morning and looking at the prophet Elijah when we've been studying the Ten Commandments and we've been looking at what it means to Sabbath these past weeks. I hope... I hope, if I do my job correctly, that it's going to become evident over the next few weeks as we have practical application as to what's really going on in these stories and why it's important that we remain focused. Because any of you who have read Scripture, Elijah is a great prophet who did great things for God and great things for God's glory. Yet in our opening reading from chapter 19 this morning, we find him where? Hiding and cowering in a cave and God asking him a very simple but poignant question. Why are you here? Why are you here? Not in shock, as though God didn't see his running away, you know, as this was some sort of big surprise to him, but in challenge, in challenge to Elijah the prophet, why are you here? It's a question that's going to force this prophet in that particular cave to open up within himself and have to reflect in himself on just why it was he is 40 miles into the middle of nowhere, away from where it is he's supposed to be, hiding from the whole world. I want to remind you of the words from Jesus from Peterson's paraphrase that we started this entire series with out of Matthew 11. Are you tired? Worn out? 
burned out on religion, Peterson says, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In Jeremiah's words as well, we tied that together because Jesus would have been looking at this particular passage in Jeremiah when he said, come to me, you who are burdened and, or weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He was looking at Jeremiah 6 when the challenge from the Lord was this, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and what? Find rest for your souls. It's good to be reminded of these passages because we're going to build on them. Why is it then, in the midst of that, is Elijah, the great prophet of God here, in a cave, away from where it is he's supposed to be, overcome completely by his circumstances as he went from victory on the mountain, which we'll take a look at, all the way down into the valley, overcome by a person, a rickety old queen, Jezebel, (laughs) threatening to kill him before the sun goes down. He goes from victory to the valley, overthrown by a couple of comments by Queen Jezebel, leading to an absolutely overblown obstacle and situation that he creates in his own mind, believing the stories that he's starting to create in his head. Completely overwhelmed. His mind creates lies based upon one or two comments made by a woman. And he loses focus. He's all alone. The whole world's against him. All of a sudden, I'm all alone. All kinds of chaos is ruling and reigning. Along with his feelings, they're all ruling his thoughts. The chaos that he creates, his feelings about how he's all alone, begin to stir in his brain, and his actions begin to reflect how he's thinking as opposed to what the situation really looks like. There's no indication at all in the text that we look at that he took any time at this particular juncture in his ministry to process these mountaintop events that had occurred and align them with the truths of God of what was really happening. So he came off the mountaintop, he hits the valley, and he doesn't take the time to get away and let it all settle in and let the Lord realign him. Elijah forgot to settle in to the God-given rhythms of life and what it means. When you have a very bad day, you don't want to go to another very bad day and then another very bad day because all of a sudden, before you know it, you got no milk for your Cheerios and the world's coming to an end. That's, that's what we have to be very careful with. Pray. Realign yourself. Get away with the Father. Take a break. Rest in Him. All of these things are challenging for all of us and for Him. Instead, what happens? Chaos takes over in the life of Elijah. Chaos. But that's not how it started. That's not how his ministry started. In fact, that's not how it ever starts for any of us. If we want to be really honest with ourselves, it never starts with chaos. Nobody hops up out of bed in the morning, puts their slippers on, and asks the question, what can I mess up today, and whose life can I screw around with so that they don't even know what end is up? If you do, we need to talk. But I don't think that any human being gets out of bed and thinks that way. We never do. To get to the cave, and what many of us know as we've read this story throughout our Christian walk, we'll know is the moment of the still, small voice. It's best that we take a look at the rest of the story. Because if we stop just in 19, we'll never understand how Elijah got there. Because nothing in life happens in a vacuum. 
Nothing in life ever happens in a vacuum, nor does it continue in isolation once it occurs. Don't ever think that it does. Chaos, panic, complaining are all the outworkings of an unsettled and unbalanced life. And the danger in that is that we end up creating mountains out of little molehills in our lives and within our concerns, as well as we begin to create untrue stories, which then cause more instability and more chaos, and we're taking off down this road, and we never really even understand where we are. All because we let our mind take off down the street with us. Now, Nehemiah 6.8 is a place that I go to for myself because I know that I'm guilty of this, as well as in dealing with other folks who also have these same types of issues um, and what we call Elijah moments in their lives. The thought that I'm all alone. The thought that everyone is against me. The thought that I'm the only one holding things together. Well, you see, Nehemiah had this issue when in in chapter 6, at the beginning, he's building the wall. You get these three goobs named Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. That's my word. It's not in Scripture. It's not Hebrew. It's not Greek. It's just a Massachusetts-ism. All right? Whatever. You get these three guys who are trying to stop the work of Nehemiah and the people of Israel to rebuild the walls in order to, to ensure security for the people of Israel. And they keep throwing these little lies and these bombs at him, tempting him to come down and get away from the work. Get away from the work. We're not going to do you any harm. Come talk to us. Blah, 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 blah. And then when that didn't work, they begin to accuse him, lying, saying, look it, you want to be king. That's why you're going to build a wall. You want to take over this whole thing. You're lying to the king way back in wherever. And this is the deal. You need to come down and talk to us. Well, at this point, Nehemiah has had enough. And he says to them very simply, then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you have said has been done. You are inventing them out of your own mind. In other words, the NIV says that you're making it all up in your head. All of these things that you're throwing at me, trying to get me off track of what I'm supposed to be doing here, you're making them up in your head. But the problem was, is in this story, Elijah believed this stuff. This is why Elijah ended up in the cave. He believed all the things that were being told to him and all the things that he had made up in his head. So where do we find him? In the cave, in the middle of nowhere, panicked. He's all alone. Anybody ever felt that way? Everyone's not against him. Just read the story. Everyone's not against him. Just a grumpy queen. She didn't like what he did. And how well is he really holding things together? I mean, after all, the picture of stability is hiding in a cave 40 miles away from where he's supposed to be. I don't think he's got a whole lot of it held together. He's probably hanging on by the ends of his fingernails, completely falling apart in this cave. Why? Because the text tells us very clearly, we're going to discover in chapter 17, that here in chapter 19, he had no rest. He had no refocus in the Lord. And he hadn't taken a break to get away. And just go, okay, Lord, what's next? He went right into the next thing. So let's go back and let's take a look at his boldness when he's in focus. The text that we read in chapter 17. Because Elijah is a prophet of God, yes. But Elijah is very, very human. Just like you and me. Very human. 
faced with challenging a wicked king to repent of his ways and discovering that his refusal, the king's refusal to repent of his ways is going to cost everybody in the country and Elijah the prophet gets to be the one to go tell Ahab, guess what, buddy? It's not going to rain. And there's something of importance here within that particular text that Elijah was faced with that I want us to touch on. We're not going to dwell on it too long, at least not right now. We'll get to it in another series throughout this year because it can't be overlooked here. When we take a look at Ahab the king and any leader in scripture or any leader anywhere for that matter, a leader's decisions affect every single person that follows that leader. So leaders, myself included, as well as the elders of this church and any other church, need to be focused and we need to be in prayer and we need to be sure of what it is God is calling us to do because we are accountable. Assured as leaders that God is leading us and telling us what it is we're supposed to do. Why? Because even in obedience, we're going to discover, even in obedience, God's leaders are not always liked by those who follow them. I mean, let's be honest about this. That's just a fact of life. Being that leaders, as my wife says, are not jars of Nutella, you ain't going to please everybody. You're a human being. How many times were the people of Israel frustrated with Moses, the man whom God called and anointed to lead them to freedom? How many times were they frustrated or he frustrated with them? A lot. They frustrated him so much at one point that it cost him the ability to go into the promised land because he lost his temper because these people had been such a nuisance and an irritant to him as they wandered around the desert. And yet he was exactly where God called him to be, pulling these people forward. Now, what about the ragtag group of goofies that we know as the apostles? How about them? We all think that, you know, they floated two inches above the ground here and they got everything right. Not at all. Peter, James, and John, that inner circle. Let's think about these guys for a minute. One of them refused to hear his master when he said, you're nothing but talk. You got a real big mouth when, you know, there's nobody around. But when a push comes to shove and somebody challenges you on what's supposed to happen, what does Peter do? "Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And you get James and John, their most famous story for these two fellows is they like to practice scorched earth evangelism. The town doesn't receive Jesus, we'll cook them, just wipe them off the face of the planet. That's how we'll handle this, Lord. We don't like those dirty pagans anyway. See, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're called to pray for our leaders, and I'm certain Elijah prayed for his leader in the hopes that he wouldn't have to come to him and say what he had to say to him. The writer to the Hebrews and Paul makes this very clear. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. If you write in your Bible, underline that. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. You got a leader who doesn't take that responsibility seriously, they're not leading. And those who will have to give an account, those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that will be of no advantage to who? The leader? No, to you. To you. Paul then says in 1 Timothy 2, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. How we respond to those who are in authority over us, whether it be our kings, whether it be our president, whether it be a prime minister, whether it be a pastor, whether it be your boss at work, 
how you pray for and respond to them has a direct bearing on you and the peace that you get to have in life, the comfort you get to have in life, and the quietness that you have in life. That's what the Bible says. So we need to always be careful. The problem that we have here is that Elijah is faced with Ahab, who is not a good leader. He's not a good leader at all. He is God's leader who's in that role because that's where he's at in Scripture, but he's not a good leader. And not only is he going to suffer for his disobedience, but so will all those who are supposed to be under his care as the king. Because he's too stubborn to do what he's told to do. You see, Peter in his letter tells us that it's better for us to suffer for doing good than it is for doing bad. Now, that's common sense, you would think. But when you observe the world for five minutes, apparently it's not. Suffering for doing good, Peter tells us, is good. Suffering for doing bad is bad. You learned that in Romper Room, if any of you remember that show. But not for Ahab. Elijah would suffer for doing good. Elijah was obedient to the Lord as uncomfortable as it made him, and he would suffer for doing good, and Ahab for doing bad. That's what the Scripture tells us. You see, suffering and struggles in life happen, folks. It's a fact of life. In fact, it's what we call life. Who we focus on and who we run to in the midst of all of those struggles determines our peace or our lack thereof. That we have to get a hold of. Tell Ahab he ain't going to be king if he's not, he's not being the king that I called him to be. So Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Oh, that's a pleasant message. Okay, now that you've said that, leave. Go down to the river and I'll have the birds feed you. Rest. You've fulfilled your assignment. You've done what you're supposed to do. Go to the river and rest. I'll have the birds bring you food. That's a settling command for Elijah. He's just tackled a big problem, and he's being told to get away, realign, and relax. Tell the king that a drought's coming and take off. No worries about food. The birds are going to bring it to you. It's a little bizarre story, but there you have it. It's in Scripture. It is what it is. And that's not even the exciting and interesting part of this particular chapter. Because the king is refusing to do as God asks, something the king should have known to do, the prophet is sent to those, guess what, who don't know God, have no part in the kingdom, while the people of God suffer because their king isn't being obedient. Now that's settling in, it's unsettling, depending on which side of the coin you're on. If you're already in God's family, it's a little unsettling. If you're not in God's family, Ooh, we got an evangelistic moment going on here. Lord's trying to reach somebody. And the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. It's pretty cool. So we go from birds feeding him at a river in quietness so the Lord can speak to him and realign him and give him what he needs to a woman who's going to provide for you. A woman you don't know, a pagan woman, no less. I want you to notice what's going on here in this particular text. Elijah is hearing very clearly from God and is obedient to each and every step. Why? Why? Don't miss that. Do not miss that. You see, he just came off of challenging a kid, a king, 
He's been fed by birds, and now he's going to a pagan woman, all without complaint. Why? Because he was focused on what God had for him to do. No matter how hard the challenge, no matter what he was asked to do, no matter how bizarre it seemed, he was focused. He was taking that time to hear what God had to say, regardless of everything else that's going on. Quiet time by the river to refocus after his first assignment. Quiet time. He comes up for air, as we would say. Here's what the Lord wants him to do, and off he goes. So he arose, and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Pretty forward for a Jewish guy, ain't it? Towards a woman he doesn't even know. But I want you to think about this for a minute because it sounds a little bit like Jesus at the well with a woman in John chapter 4, doesn't it? Elijah's in need. He asks for help. He puts himself in a position of need before a woman who's not even a woman of God. Again, an evangelistic moment. He's in a place that we probably wouldn't be, doing something we probably wouldn't do in order that God's will would be fulfilled. He needs to ask her for help. And she's instantly faced with a life or death choice. And this is where the story gets real interesting. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I've nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Well, there's a fine how do you do. I got just enough here and then we're just going to wait until we die. Do we think for a moment that this encounter is an accident? Do we think for a moment? Oh, not at all. Not one bit. You see, in God's economy, there's no accidents. Everybody is exactly where they're supposed to be here, no matter how difficult the situation may seem. No matter how difficult the situation may seem, she's being challenged right here to have faith and to have trust in somebody she don't even know. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. And I challenge you, he is this bold because he is centered on what God has called him to do. There's no other reason for this kind of boldness. But first make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. That's a man who's confident in what God has called him do. This lady just said, I've got enough food to eat one more meal and then we're going to die. Huh, don't worry about that. Make me my lunch first. And then everything will be okay. And there's two things to see here in this particular part of the story. First is Elijah's confidence in what God has called him to do. Don't forget that in light of the fact that soon this same Elijah, two chapters later, is going to be cowering in a cave. This is how confident he is when he is focused on what it is God's got him to do. Lack of focus, lack of faith, and lack of confidence. That's what put him in a cave. None of that is being seen here. And second, the challenge for this woman, there's two things going on here. The challenge for this woman is to give to the Lord who she does not know. First, before she gives to herself. Out of her need... And the little bit that she has, she's being called to have faith in this guy she's never met 
toward a God she doesn't know. Do what I ask you to do, and I'm going to provide for you as a result of your obedience to give me what it is you have. You know what that is? That's a tithe principle. That's what that is. It's a tithe principle. You give to God first, and you trust that he will provide everything else that you need. If you understand nothing else about the tithe, you need to know that it isn't about the abundance. It's about the obedience. That didn't change just because Jesus came. There's a tithe principle. I trust the Lord enough to give him what I need to give him in order that he takes care of me. Here we got this pagan woman who doesn't even know who God is, and this is what she does. She went and did as Elijah said. She went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for what? Many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Wow. Faith, obedience, trust. She stepped into a situation that she needed to grow. And yet, guess what happens? Now it really goes sideways. She loses her son in the midst of all of this. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, becomes ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Didn't see that coming. We didn't see that coming. Elijah had been focused. He'd been obedient, as had this woman. And so much for the notion that being in God and in Christ guarantees a free life, free from pain, free from suffering, free from any of that stuff. Sickness, anything else. Being in God's will does not guarantee any of those things, nor does it mean peace and safety according to the world's standards. In Christ, you will have peace, you will have safety, you will have provision. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of the things you struggle with, in the midst of your problems. In Christ, you will have all those things. In this world, we will have trouble. I think Jesus said that. I could be wrong. I have to look it up. I leave that to you. In him, we find rest. In him, through the storms, through the trials of life, we are challenged to stand at these crossroads that Jeremiah tells us and choose the ancient path. Why? Why? Because in that, we find our rest. In him is our rest. In the midst of the storm, whatever you're dealing with, in him, you find your rest. But see, the sad thing is, is for the people of Israel, and quite frankly, for most of us today, I haven't read the end of 616 in Jeremiah, because here's how it ends. The people of Israel look at the prophet and say, we will not walk in it. In other words, you'll bring us to the place where we can choose where we can go, we can have peace, we can have chaos, and we're going to go this way. We don't want to walk in that peace and that rest. Human beings have this issue. We have to be careful when we stand at the crossroads to say, Lord, I don't care what's going on around me. I'm going to hold on to you if it's the last thing I've got. Because in you is peace. In you is rest. Something interesting happens with the widow with her son, when her son dies. She, she asks Elijah the purpose behind his death. She doesn't get all mad at him and scream at him. Oh, she kind of does, but she really doesn't. She said to Elijah, what have you against me? What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. That's pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. You've come to bring my sin to remembrance. Well, I must have made Elijah feel pretty comfortable. Self-reflective in the midst of loss. You're here and you're showing me my sin. She's mad, yes, 
But instead of blaming God, she's confronted with and reminded of what? Her shortcomings. It's odd, really, since none of that's been revealed in the text when you think about it. None of that's been mentioned, nor has Elijah brought it out. What's going on here? I think the Holy Spirit's at work. Resting in the Lord will do for us what it did for this widow. She had been obedient and compliant this whole time, and the Holy Spirit's starting to stir within this pagan woman. And her sin is being revealed in the midst of the death of her son. Self-reflection. Confronted with herself and with ourselves before the Lord, that should always lead us to repentance. It shouldn't lead us to anger and bitterness and then we start to blame everybody else around us. It should lead us to repentance. It should lead us to be on our face before the Lord. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. It's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Because notice what Elijah doesn't do. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't let the situation dictate his response. I'll let that settle for a second. I, this is, I needed this. Maybe none of you do, but I needed this. He doesn't let the situation dictate his response. He doesn't panic. Nor does he go off on her in anger. Instead, he keeps his focus where? Upward towards the Lord and outward towards a woman who needs the Lord. Not about him. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity upon, even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? So Elijah is wrestling before the Lord with what's going on here. He needs to know. I didn't see this coming. He asked God, what is it he's trying to do? What are you doing here? Why? Because he knows he is where he's supposed to be. God put him here. And that this woman has done everything that she was supposed to do in accordance with what God had told her to do. And now we've got a dead boy on the prophet's bed. Obedience to God never guarantees comfort in an easy road. Following him takes courage. Following him takes boldness. Because things are going to come up that we have no inkling. Elijah here could have been freaked out. Remember, this is the guy in the cave, completely lost. Instead, he takes the dead child and then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O oh, Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Your son lives. And there's two things here that happen as a result of Elijah being focused and obedient to what God calls him to. God reveals himself as God. God reveals himself as God, that he has power and authority over life as well as death, and that his actions are not contingent upon our actions. He does what he's going to do, irrespective of what we do, as if we can make him do anything at all. Then she's saved along with her son. 
which I challenge you, is the whole purpose here. Think about this. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of what? It's a small change in the text, but it's an important change in the text. She has always said, your Lord, your Lord, your Lord. What does she say here? And that the word of the Lord. She's now taken ownership, I dare say, of the God whom Elijah has been trusting. And the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. That's a confession of faith. Why? Because she didn't go hungry, but it took her faith and trust when she had nothing to understand that she wasn't going to go hungry. Because she got her son back when he was dead because she didn't go off on Elijah and tell him to beat it. You've been nothing but trouble. She said, what's going on here? And she got her son back. You see, her son's salvation from death bar about her belief. God has been working through Elijah's obedience to bring her to this moment. This moment. See, this is an evangelistic passage here. It's not just about bread and it's not just about a dead kid. It's about a lost woman whom God cared enough about to send a prophet to. It's about God's glory and his desire to bring lost people home. That's what's going on here. At this moment, Elijah is resting and focusing properly. And it's been a fun ministry so far for him, even in the midst of the trials, because he's focused on what God has for him. Tell the king that he's bad and he needs to repent. The king says, tell him no rain because of your stubbornness. And as a result, all the people that follow you are going to suffer. Tell the widow to feed you first, and then I'll make sure she's always provided for. Her son dies after she's done all that she's told. Why? So God can raise him through Elijah's obedience in order that she come to the realization that God is God and there is no other. Talk about a story. Talk about a story. Dig in. Dig in. Rest in that truth. Rest in that truth. There is no other. Ahab didn't rest in that. If the worship team could come, please. I told you this was going to take a little while to unpack. Ahab did not rest in this truth. Ahab wanted control. He was the king after all. The king who ought to have known misses out on these blessings of God and a pagan woman does not. See, I leave that for you to think over this week as God's people. Dig into 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19 and see what happens in the life of Elijah in these instances in these three short chapters. Because there's an adventure to be had here. Better than any other story ever told. We see a prophet who is so confident in what God has called him to do that he doesn't miss the mark at all. And at the end of it, we see a prophet who has completely lost his bearings because he's not resting in the Lord. And the challenge for each and every one of us as we take a look at this story is what part are we? Where do you relate in this? What do you struggle with? Do you go sideways when it gets difficult and just lose it and go run 40 miles in the middle of nowhere, figuratively as it were, thinking that the whole world's closing in on you? 
Or do you just sit down for a minute and say, okay, Lord, sort this nonsense out. What's real? And what's not? Help me to hear your voice in the midst of all the noise and the chaos. Let's stand. George, David.